Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Good morning, Grace Hill. Come on, you guys can do better than that. Good morning, Grace Hill. All right, we are here on Father's Day together, and man, we always want to honor where honor is due on the day that it's due, and so on Mother's Day, if you guys remember, we talked about spiritual motherhood, and we honored our moms by giving an offering for every lady in attendance to a local women's shelter, right? And so that's a very honorable thing to do. But we're going to honor our dads today in the best way we know possible by starting off the sermon with some dad jokes. And so uh, I'm doing this, and my daughter's in youth group today, my, my youngest daughter. I'm doing this partly because of her and partly in spite of her, right? So when I tell jokes like she, the other two daughters will courtesy laugh, and Mally's like, dad. Mally's a little more like Tamara, right? She's just like dad. But then she turns around herself and she tells dad jokes more than me. So I'm doing this and I told her, hey, honey, tomorrow I'm starting off the message in honor of you with a few dad jokes. And she goes, oh, I'm in youth, but I'm going to listen online. (laughs) She acts just like she doesn't like, like them, but she does. So here we go. And just so you know, these are really, really bad. They're really bad. And I love them a ton. Here we go. My wife is on a tropical food diet. The house is full of this stuff. It's enough to make it's enough to make a mango crazy. Mango, mango, tropical. <laughs> See? See? You don't want to laugh. Those are just good. I mean, that's like high-quality humor right there. Bob, come on. Come on. You're stoic. It's just, that's all right, here's the next one. I'm not addicted to brake fluid. I can stop anytime. <laughs> All right, here we go. Our wedding was so beautiful, even the cake was in tears. Last night I dreamt I was a muffler. I woke up exhausted. And there we go. There's our intro for the day. Welcome, dads. That's how we wanted to honor you all today. Ah, don't you feel so much better after listening to dad jokes? No? All right, me either. Now let's talk about Jesus, what really makes us feel better, all right? All right, it's a great day. We are in week four of our series about the life and the story of David. And so manly man is what we're talking about. And we're finishing up on Father's Day. Week one, we talked about David as a shepherd and thus our lives as a shepherd. David's life in the shepherd's field seemed boring and mundane when actually it was foundational to the rest of his life. And we compared the foundational shepherd field years to our growing in our relationship and developing our relationship with Jesus and how it's foundational for our lives. Week two, we talked about David as a warrior. And how he fought David, or David fought Goliath, and he won the battle there. And how we are in a spiritual fight. Every one of us, whether we want to be or not, are in a fight. It's a spiritual fight, and so it's not flesh and blood. It's not against your co-worker or your spouse or your neighbor. It is a spiritual battle, and we have to fight. Never stop fighting, but we have to fight the right way. A spiritual battle. Last week, we talked about... David as a friend and how he never would have accomplished God's will for his life had he not had the friendship with Jonathan and friend, a friendship with this ragamuffin group of men who joined around him when he's fleeing from Saul and he never would have accomplished God's will for his life had he not had the mighty warriors around him when he was king 
And how every one of us need to learn to open up our hearts and allow friendship in and be a friendship to other, be a friend to others. And that we are not meant to do life alone. Never were we designed to do it alone. And when we do, we'll fall short of God's will for our lives. If you missed that last week, go listen to it. Really a powerful sermon for us as a church. Today, we're talking about David as a king. So let me give you a little bit of background here is that we talked about earlier in the series is that Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's home. Jesse is the father of David and he goes to his home and he's asking for his son because God has now rejected Saul as king because of his sin, because of his heart, because of his unrepentance. He's rejected Saul as king and he's looking for the new king and God says go to Jesse's home and he anoints David to be king of Israel and that happens uh, and it's not yet to happen yet but it happens later so then Samuel goes and he anoints his son and then David goes to battle and fights Goliath he wins and this was national international news CNN Fox News BBC this was on every news channel of the day and David gained national even international acclaim and as they're coming back, then Saul begins to get jealous of the song saying about David. And he tried for the rest of his life to kill this young man, David, until he himself was killed in battle. And he had grown bitter and he had grown, uh, 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 had hindered bitter, or held bitterness in his heart, which hindered him from moving forward. And really the thing I want to ask you today is, have you ever harbored bitterness in your heart? Come on, across the room, how many of you have ever harbored bitterness? I mean, that's, that's something that would be fairly common. It's something that in our human nature that we are prone to at times. But I want to challenge you, never harbor bitterness in your heart. It just leads you to dumb stuff. It leads you to dumb stuff. It makes you sick inside. I mean, never harbor bitterness inside. So David would flee from Saul for years. Until Saul himself was finally dies in battle, along with his son Jonathan, and David becomes the second king of Israel. Now I want you to listen what God says about who David was. First Samuel chapter 16, it says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, do not look at his appearance or his physical nature because I have refused him. Talking about David's older brother, because I have refused him. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to read the last half of that verse again. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man sees on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says this, in regards to who David was. It's talking to Saul. He says, now Saul, your kingdom will not continue, for the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. So it's referring here to David when it says, a man after God's own heart. And I want us to capture today that David didn't become king because of his bloodline. He didn't become king because of his wealth, because of his power. He didn't become king because of his wit or his business acumen. David became king because of his heart. Because of his heart. And today we're talking about a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart. We're talking about those things is that God isn't looking at the outside. God was seeking for someone who had a, who was someone after his own heart and God had rejected Saul and he had chosen David. And God's not looking at all the cultural metrics of success. God's not looking at the cultural metrics of power. God's not looking at the cultural metrics of strength or beauty. No, no, no. God is looking at your heart and my heart and our hearts. That is what God is looking at. And in this series, we're not talking about cool or wealthy or rugged or refined or witty or any of those things. We are talking about your heart and your heart yours and your heart and mine 
David became king because of his heart. And the heart is defined by the dictionary in this way. Heart is the central or innermost part of something. It's what you are at your core. It's who you really are. When no one's looking, it's what you are, even though you don't speak it, what's going on in here. That's what the heart is. And though David's brothers were bigger and they were stronger and more handsome in that moment, God was looking at David's heart. What's at the innermost of your heart? In fact, what's the innermost of our heart look like today? What's the most important thing to you? The core of who you are, what is the innermost part of who you are? There are lots of things that could be the center of our lives. It could be work, or it could be leisure, or it could be success, or it could be promotion, or it could be pleasure, or it could be money. It could be lots of different things. But David became king because God was at the center of his life. The first question, is God the central thing to your life? Is God central? Because that moment, that moment when God is central is when we're ready for promotion and ready for growth. And so today, God We're looking at how God was pleased with David's heart. And he was looking for someone after his own heart, and he rejected Saul. He received David. And so today, I want us to talk about David's heart. I want us to talk about four aspects of David's heart that reveal who he was, that reveal characters that we need to nurture and we need to develop in our own lives. Is what are these four characteristics? And if you're taking notes today, write these down. Number one, we see in David's heart that he was quick to worship. David was quick to worship that he didn't have a heart that was reserved. He didn't have a heart that was held back. He didn't have a heart that was withdrawn. He didn't have a heart that was prideful. Do you know what the first thing to go is when pride enters into the heart? The first thing to go is worship. Because you can still sit in a, in, a, in, a, in a seat and listen to a sermon, but your heart doesn't want to worship when there's pride there because we're the center. And I'm not talking style. I'm talking about connecting with God. So David here had a heart to worship instead of being reserved or withdrawn. And the story we're about to read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what's happening here is the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, has been taken and for years has been held by the enemies in the enemy's camp and their houses and their territories and now it's being returned to israel and this presence of the lord is this, is coming and david's excited and in second samuel six fourteen, it says this that david danced before the lord with all of his might wearing a priestly garment now at first first glance this doesn't look like a very big deal here. That he's excited and culturally that he danced before the Lord. That he's excited in the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was back in Jerusalem. But, but I want you to notice something that's subtle but significant in this passage. You see, see here that he was wearing a priestly garment. He wasn't wearing his kingly robe. He had taken his kingly robe off, he had taken that off, and he's worshiping the Lord in simply this priestly robe. He's saying, hey, I'm taking off the thing that represents my position, I'm taking off this thing that some people would say is my identity, I'm taking off this thing that would, that would say, hey, I'm above you, I'm taking the, this off, and I'm simply worshiping the Lord just like everybody else in his priestly robe. And today, I know that worship might not be your thing. I know that maybe you put so much energy in your career and the family all through the week, or it's early in the morning, and it's just not your thing, or maybe it's not your style, or maybe it's too soft, or too loud, or too long, or too short. Maybe it's all of those things, or any of those things, it's not your style. And I totally get that. I Maybe sometimes we're distracted. But here's what I want to say. This is, this is still your church. And that we still enter in and engage in worship of the Lord. And David, I can, I can just really, I can't see him when the presence of the Lord is coming back into Jerusalem. I can't say, hear him saying, well, I mean, have you heard how that harpist plays? I mean, I just don't like how that harpist plays. Did you hear the trumpeteer is a little brassy this week? Can you, 
I mean, it's just a little bit harsh. He was pitchy this week. Instead, David opened up his heart and he worshiped and he was just celebrating the presence of the Lord. He humbled himself out of his priestly garment, I mean, out of his kingly garment in his priestly robe and he worshiped the Lord. And if you read the story, his wife was embarrassed by him. His wife was like, David, why don't you tone it down? I mean, put your robe back on. You're embarrassing the family. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who my dad was? His wife was the former king's daughter. You're embarrassing the family. And David's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to worship. And I'm not going to wear my priestly robe. I'm not going to wear my, the identity, the things that puts me above. Because when it comes to worship, when it comes to the foot of God, that we are all on the same playing level. And that I'm going to worship the Lord. Now again, it's not about here about style, but about connecting. It's not about style, it's about connecting with the Lord. And so here's my point is that Chris is going to sing the course to a song that I want you to listen to and then we're going to talk about for just a moment. I want to be close to you I want to be close to you There's nothing in this world that compares to all you are in this world that compares to all you are I want to be close to you there's nothing in this world that compares to all that you are and I want to ask you today can you sing that not not literally not physically I mean that's why I didn't sing it because you've heard me sing and you are like please don't sing that to us Michael You can teach, you can tell dad jokes, but please, whatever you do, don't sing. In fact, as I sit on the front row, like I'm pretty comfortable with who I am and I'm pretty comfortable with worship. So I like to raise my hands up and and, and I raise my hands as part of how I worship. And I think that I sometimes do an off rhythm bob. I think I kind of do that as well. And then I sing really loud. And those on the front of the stage throughout all of Grace's Hills history, they've said, you know, uh, like Celeste has been, man, I I hear you sing. Can you maybe tone it down a little bit? And and then Chris is like, yeah, yeah, I I heard you sing. and he just will kind of this awkward pause. I heard you sing during worship. Yeah. And then even Forrest, like early on, Forrest is like, man, you sure sing loud, Pastor. Can you tone that down a little bit? And all I want to say is you're a bunch of Pharisees trying to kill my buzz when I want to get my praise on. Right? <laughs> Kidding. So, <laughs> sort of. Just But it's not about, I mean, I raise my hands. It's not about raising your hands or an off rhythm bob, or it's not about like how loud you sing. It's not about style and how you were somewhere raised. Like you guys are really mellow compared to how I raised. And some of you are like, you guys are crazy compared to how I mean, it's like, so it's not about style, but it is about engaging in the Lord. It is about connecting with God. It is about expressing worship from our hearts and worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who has saved us, the one who has forgiven us, the creator of heaven. It is about engagement with the Lord and worshiping him. And can we sing that? Lord, there is, there's nothing, I want to be close to you, there's nothing in this world that compares to all you are. Can we not physically sing that, but can we say that in our hearts and say, oh, Lord, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I want to be close to you, God. And that of all the things in the world that I could pursue, and of all the things in the world that I could have, and of all the things in the world that I could taste of, and all the things in the world that I could see, there is nothing that compares to you. Can we say that from the bottom of our hearts? Because it's about connecting with the Lord. And I want to say say this today, that when 
When you lose sensitivity to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, there's a disconnect somewhere, and that disconnect is never on God's side. That disconnect is never on God's side because God says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That God literally, he inhabits, he sits enthroned in the praises of his people, that he is there with us, that Praise God, worship God, engage with him. And a heart after God we see in David is is quick to worship. Number two, if you're taking notes today, is this. Is that a heart after God is quick to give. In this story in 2 Samuel 24, it tells us that David had sinned against the Lord. That David had been told by God to trust in his own, in God's strength, not in his own strength. And not to take things into his own hands, but trust the Lord. And David, not fully trusting God, instead begins to count his armies. God said, don't count your armies, trust in me. Is your, the object of your faith your armies, or is the object of your faith me? And he says, so don't count your armies, just trust me, I've got you. And David takes it into his own hands and takes his senses and counts his armies. And because of that sin against the Lord, there were consequences that came with that. He disobeyed. But David was quick to repent and he gave, uh, and God received that forgiveness and there was not going to be a spiritual consequence for this. And so how many of you in this room, you are thankful for Jesus on the cross taking the spiritual consequences of our sin? How many of you have needed God's forgiveness and you're grateful for what he took on the cross for you? Come on. Come on. That's a good point to say, thank you, Jesus. Say that with me. Thank you, Jesus. There is not spiritual consequence for our sin. When we go to the Lord in repentance, he bore that on the cross. But how many of you know that there are times that there are physical consequences? We don't have to bear the spiritual consequences when there's true repentance, but there are times physical consequences. You rob a bank and you genuinely ask God for forgiveness and you repent, you return the money, there's no spiritual consequence, but you still have to go to prison. You lie to your wife, guys, God will forgive you, but your wife, you got to rebuild that trust. Amen? There are physical consequences, though God will forgive you, there are physical consequences. And so what we see here is that David had to endure some physical consequences. And for three days, a plague came and 70,000 people died. And David is now going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And in 2 Samuel 24, it tells us that that day... Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. And when Aruna saw the king and his men coming towards him, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. So in other words, he's really excited to see him. So like, it wasn't like this political thing of like, I support you, king. It's like, hey, I'm excited that you're here. No matter if you support or don't support our current president, that if he came into our presence, what would we do? We would shake his hand. We would honor him as his positionally. And we would pray for him as the leader of our country. That That's what we would do. So Aruna here is excited to see him. He says, why have you come, my Lord? David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my Lord, and use it as you wish, he said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and you, and may the Lord, your God, accept your sacrifice. But I love, I love, I love what David said here. David replied, the king replied, no, I insist on buying it. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord. Uh, to the Lord my God, that had cost me nothing. In other words, he won't. He says, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to sacrifice something that cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Now, when we talk about money, or we talk about raising children, or when we talk about being healthy physically in church, people get antsy. You'd be surprised at what people get antsy about in church. 
But I want to tell you this unapologetically. I'm calling for you in this room to lead the way in generosity. To lead the way in giving and not to be stingy. And so I'm telling you this, not, quit trying to find loopholes on why not to give and why not to serve and why not to love. Lead the way in generosity. And David, a heart after God, was quick to give back to God what he deserved. You see, I want us in this room to be generous. I'm talking about generous in our serving, generous in our time, generous in our abilities, generous in our love, generous in our resources. In fact, the truth is in this, in, in Grace Hill, we have such a high percentage of volunteerism and serving. Man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But I want us to be generous in every aspect of our lives instead of saying, well, you know what? I, I'm just too busy. I'm just too, I'm too important. I've got too much going on. I don't have time. I want us to be incredibly generous because selfishness or ignorance leads to a lack of generosity. I don't have time. I'm too important to serve or to love or to help. What? Then rearrange life priorities in your schedule. Is he central to our life? Is he central to who you are in the core of your being? In a very humble way, passionate, but humble way, I'm saying, show me your calendar, show me your checkbook, and I can probably tell you whether he's central or not. That's not condemnation. This is a challenge and a plea from from you to have him as the center of your life. And a heart after the Lord is generous with time and emotion and resources. Now, I know, I know that there's times that we've been burned and hurt and we build up walls and we say, I'm not going to be generous with my love because I've been burned before. I'm not going to be generous with my heart and emotions because I've been burned before. But my challenge is for us to be the, the generous people that God has called us to be. And I told you last week in a very transparent way. That last week as I was talking about friendship and talking about as a friend in our lives, that I was preaching to myself what I'm learning and what I'm learning over the last few years in the same way in generosity. This is not at all the, I mean, the, me preaching to you. This is me saying this is what I'm learning. Generosity with my heart. Generosity with my serving. Generosity. David was quick to worship. This is for all of us, and not just for Grace Hill, but to the Lord. Not just for the church, but in serving and where God has put you, it's serving as unto the Lord. Is he central to our lives? Now, when we give, we give to God. When we give, we're giving to the Lord. And David said this, that I'm not going to take something from God and it not cost me something. I will only give what costs. And as we're a part of the body, that our, our role is both giving and getting. It is both loving and being loved. Being a friend and being a friend too. Knowing and being known. Sharing and being shared with. That this is what God has called us to. As we give, we're giving to the Lord. And so the question is, are our hands open? Are our hearts open saying, Lord, what you've placed here, I'm holding very loosely for you to direct me with. Does that make sense? That what we have and what we possess and our time is a gift from God. And sometimes we get scared that we're going to lose it. But our hope is not in our stuff. Our hope is not in our time. Our hope is not in our job. Our hope is not in our possession. Our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in God and saying, Lord, you are the center of my life. So I love when Jesus is in the boat and the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee and a major storm comes up and storms were fairly common so they were skilled sailors. But this one was bad enough that it made even these skilled sailors very afraid because you see the Sea of Galilee is almost in a bowl and it's 600 feet below sea level. Well, then the mountain ridge near that is 9,200 feet above sea level. So you have the cold air coming down the mountain, sweeping up with the hot air rising from the, from the Sea of Galilee, which would cause major windstorms and oftentimes incredibly rough seas. But it was, so they were used to that, but this one was really bad. And they rush down. Jesus is sleeping underneath in the, in the hull of the boat. And he's, and he's sleeping. And they rush down and they say, Jesus, wake up, wake up. Don't you love us? 
Don't you love us? We're going to die. And he stands up and he calms the winds and he calms the waves. And one of the literal translation was that the water was dead calm. And he looks at him and he says, where is your faith? Not how big is your faith? Don't you have enough faith? What he's saying is, where is your faith? Is it in your sailing abilities? Is it in the ship? Or is your faith in me? Totally different. You know what? I'm skilled enough to do this job and I'm skilled enough to move up in this career. I'm skilled enough. I'm going to trust myself in this career field or saying, Lord, you've given me abilities. My trust in you, is in you. And if you have me in this track of, of career, I'm going to do it. But if not, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. Then your trust is in God, not in your career path. Amen. So our hope is not in our stuff and our time and our emotions and our finances. Our hope is in the Lord and we give generously back to him what he has blessed us with. And sometimes we say, hey, I'm too busy. I have to do all these things to stay afloat. Hey, I have so many bills. I have to load up on stuff just to stay afloat. And Jesus is saying, what's the focus of your faith? Your stuff, these things are me. Because all the stuff can be gone tomorrow. Trust in him. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your love. Be generous with your giving. Be generous with your serving. Don't be closed-handed. Be open-handed saying, God, I'm not going to come and worship without something that will cost me. And I'm going to serve and pass on what I know. That David's heart was after God. He modeled it for us. And I'm challenging you in this room to lead with generosity. So a heart after God was quick to worship, quick to give, and then really maybe here's the tough one for so many of us, a heart after God is quick to forgive. A heart after God is quick to forgive, that that this one is tough. In fact, back in the day, I could hold a grudge as good as anyone. How many of you in here, without God, you're good at holding grudges? Come on, raise them up high. How many of you with God, you're good at holding grudges, right? Right? I, I mean, that's a battle. So we can laugh about it because like we're in light company here that grudges, it's, man, like grudges usually come from legit hurt and legit wrong. So sometimes we say forgive and like the easy way to pass it off as a pastor is to say, well, Chris, it's, it's really no big deal. I mean, it's easy for me to tell you to forgive because it's not my deal. It's your deal. Just forget over it. Right? But usually grudges come from a legitimate wrong done to you many times. And if not a legitimate wrong, for sure a perceived wrong. And though perception is not really always reality, it feels like reality sometimes. And so it's easy for us to hold grudges. So when we're talking about this grudge, man, it it is, it's understandable. And if anyone had the right to hold a grudge, it was David against Saul. You see, Saul would go through these depressed seasons and David would come and play and worship and strum the harp and it would be beautiful and it would ease Saul's depression. It's the presence of the Lord. And Saul was in such a fit one day that he literally tried to pin him to the wall with a spear and kill him out of jealousy and anger and this whatever was inside of him. And if anyone had the right to hold a grudge, it was David. But I want you to listen to this story. This story is in 2 Samuel chapter 1. This is incredible. But David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and they wept and they fasted all day for Saul and his son And for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel, because they had died by the sword that day. So this guy who had chased David for years, this guy who tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, this guy who was jealous of him, who who talked bad about him, who sent assassins after him, he died. And for many of us, if Saul had died and it was us in that situation, Chris, you know what we might do? Yes. But not David. David said he and his men wept. The Bible says they wept, they fasted, and they mourned because Saul had died that day. And not only did they mourn, and they, he, David had forgiven him, and he mourned, and he lost, and, uh, mourned the loss. And then listen to this. 
in 2 Samuel 1, 17 and 18, it says, Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Israel. Saul dies in battle. He's going to become king. He's already been anointed king. He'll become king. The guy who's chasing, trying to kill him, dies, and instead of rejoicing, he mourns and fasts and feels the loss. And then he composes a song to honor him. And then he makes all the people learn it because he said he was our king and we're going to honor him. He was my king and we're going to honor him. So instead of celebrating and saying, woohoo, look what God did. I mean, how many of you, you've ever prayed that the one who wronged you, that God would judge them? God, if you would just strike them down, that would just bring so much justification. I could forgive them then, God. Right? Matt, you know. You know, right? Lord, if you, they've wronged me, just strike. Lord, if you would just get them a flat tire. May the hair on their back grow as thick as the... With the fleas of a thousand camels infest their armpits, God. But not David. David wrote a song. And then he said, everyone, we're going to learn this and we are going to honor the king. Because he was quick to forgive. And so today, I want to ask you that, who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's an ex. Maybe you need to forgive the person you're still married to. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it is a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it is an old friend. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, co, a business partner. A co, who, who do you need to forgive today? Because someone with a heart after God is quick to forgive and to quick to move on and to quick to, to, to say, hey, I'm going to release them to the Lord. And in fact, you know what happened is that David even blessed Saul's family. In that era of time, when a new king became king, they often executed all the former king's family so that no one could have a blood tie to the, fa- to, to the throne. But David, instead of killing the family, he honored the family. I mean, what, what a moment of completely being countercultural. I have every right, air quote, right to hold a grudge. And yet he honors the family. And so sometimes we think, I have a right because of what they did to me. Really, we have no rights when we come to Christ because we gave those up at the cross. That we traded the rights of our flesh for the rights of the spirit. That God has changed in exchange for us. And in that divine exchange, we win. Thank you, Jesus. And some of us need to forgive. And when we forgive... It brings healing. Unforgiveness makes us do dumb stuff. It makes us think dumb stuff. It causes sickness in our life. Unforgiveness only hurts us. And it only hurts, even though it's not fair, forgiveness is not fair. It only hurts us. We need to forgive. David did. And you want to know how to get past unforgiveness? Is to pray a blessing on those people that have wronged us. Whoo, that hurts. That one hurts. And you know, Todd, when you finally have come to the moment of true forgiveness is when you can say, Lord, I pray that you would bless them and that your hand would be upon that family and that, Lord, I just pray that that the hair on their head would grow, not the hair on their back. Lord, that you would bless them with a double portion. God, I pray, like, like, really, we're saying, Lord, bless them double, bless them triple. Like, if you can say that in a clear conscience, that's when you know forgiveness has happened. And, like, praying blessing on someone is like the kryptonite of unforgiveness. And I want to encourage you to be generous, to be a heart after God and forgiveness because it's freeing. David, a man after God's own heart, was quick to forgive. He was quick to worship. He was quick to give. And he was also quick to repent. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says this, that in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. 
They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's something really for us to capture. Normally, kings went out to war. David stayed home behind. So that's what I want us to capture. Again, kings normally went out. David stayed behind. And in week two, we talked about fighting spiritual battles. And we've got to fight the right way. And if you're taking notes today, I want to teach you a key lesson just for a moment. The key lesson is this, that we never quit fighting. We never quit fighting, guys. That this isn't a moment where we come and we say, hey, I'm, a, I'm comfortable. I've now arrived as king. I've now arrived in my career. I now have arrived in family. I have arrived spiritually. And so I am just going to sit back and chill and relax. We never quit fighting. We never quit fighting to be a friend. We never quit fighting to, to, to be a king. We never quit fighting to be a warrior. We never quit fighting to be a shepherd. We never quit fighting. David got comfortable and it cost him. We just keep fighting. No matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we fall, no matter how many times harsh words are spoken over you, no matter how many times that you give in to that same thing, you never stop fighting to be a shepherd. You never stop being a warrior. You never stop being a friend. You never start being a king after God's own heart. Now, the next part of the story, the second half of the story here is this. Is that David stayed home. David went out on his balcony. And as he's out on his balcony, he's looking over Jerusalem, impressed with his kingdom, impressed with his capital city. As David was looking out, he looks across and he sees a woman bathing. Now, probably incredibly tempting for him in that moment. Temptation is not the sin. It's when you begin to dwell that it becomes the sin. Does that make sense? So David, seeing what he saw, he could have just turned around and walked away. Like he noticed and he could have walked away. But instead, he thought, hey, let me pull out my binoculars and really see if I'm seeing what I'm seeing here. Oh, I am seeing. So let me hang out here for a minute and just continue to grow deeper into this sin. The story tells us that he calls for her. And one of his attendants say, yeah, 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 you know who that is? That's Uriah's wife, you know, one of your guys in battle, one of your commanders of the army, one of, the, one of your officials that's eating at your table, that's Uriah's wife. So David's saying, who's that? That's Uriah's. So he's giving him an out, but instead of David taking that out, he missed it once when he didn't walk away. He missed it twice when his assistant told him who she was. He missed it twice. He calls for her. How many of you know that God gives you an out every opportunity that we have to sin? He calls her in, he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. She gets pregnant and he tries to bring Uriah, her her husband, off the battlefield. And he brings him into his home and he says, now go home and stay with your wife. And he thought, hey, he's been away for a a couple of months now. So why don't he he come, he'll come home and he'll, he'll be with his wife and they'll never know that he'll think it's his own child. But Uriah had a lot of integrity and Uriah slept on the front porch that day because he said, how can I enjoy the relationship with my wife when my men are out in battle? And so out of integrity and character, he doesn't go into the home. Well, then David, continuing in his sin, he gets Uriah drunk, trying to think, well, I can trick him. He'll go home and he'll sleep with his wife. And he doesn't. So what he does, he writes a letter to the head of his army. And he says, hey, put Uriah at the front lines. And when they're in the heat of battle, pull back. And Uriah is killed in battle. And then David brings Bathsheba into his home and makes her his wife. And so here's the story of what goes on from that point in 2 Samuel 12, 1-7. It says this. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. That there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. 
the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought, that he had raised from a lamb, and he grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal of his own flock or herd, he took a poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed that any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one who stole, uh, for the one for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse seven. So then Nathan said to David, you are that man. And in this moment, David had a choice of whether to repent or hide. David could have looked at, you know, Nathan, the prophet, Dan, he could have looked at him and gone, Hey, Nathan, I'm the, I'm the king. Why don't you cover this up? But he didn't do that. Not once do you read of David trying to dodge his sin. Not once do you read of David trying to hide it after it's come out. That not once did he try to deny it because no one saw it. No one knew what was going on. And yet here he is in this moment. Saul hid from his sin and God rejected him. David owned up to it. And guys, sometimes we do the same thing as Saul that we try to hide it. Or we try to, uh, to reason it away. Or we try to justify when God is saying just simply confess it to me. And then at that moment he cleanses us. Of that sin. Here's what Samuel did and said. In verse 13, and David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. He confessed, he repented. David didn't become king because of his bloodline. David didn't become king because he was perfect. David didn't become king because of his wealth or his power or his wit. David became king. Because of his heart. And in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his failure, it's giant. This was giant in the midst of his sin. He didn't dodge it. And in the same time, he wrote Psalms 51. And I want us to read that together. In Psalms 51, he says this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I love that. He's saying, I know my transgressions. I know my sins. I see them and I repent of them. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sure sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me. I love his his heart. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. And I love verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And I love this. You can tell his mourning and his repentance and his brokenness. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Sustain me. I love this. Then after your forgiveness, after your restoring, after these things, then I will teach the transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my God and my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Guys, I want you to know it's hard to sing worship when there's sin in your heart. David's saying, I will sing worship to you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. David's mistake was massive. The loss of life, deception, adultery, it was massive, yet he was quick to repent. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about being a shepherd, we've talked about being a friend, we've talked about being a warrior, we've talked about being a king. And I want to challenge you from the bottom of my heart, 
Never stop fighting for these things. Never stop fighting. Fight to be in the shepherd's field. Fight. Fight to be a warrior, but fight the right way. Work hard to be a friend and let people in. Trust the Lord enough to love and be loved, to give and be given to. Lead these things in our culture. Lead these things in our church. Lead the way. And you'll love what God is able to do in your heart when you fight and you fight the right way. Grace Hill, would you stand with me today? I want us to pray together before we close. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you. If you just bow your head just for a moment. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Father, I pray that, Lord, over the last four weeks, you would stir our hearts. Today, I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord, to be, Lord, a man after your own heart. To realize David didn't become king because he was the biggest and the strongest and the wealthiest and the wittiest and the most savvy businessman. But instead, he became king because of his heart. Not perfect, but he was quick to worship. He was quick to give. He was quick to forgive. That he was quick, Lord Jesus, uh, to do these things in worship. So, Lord, help us to be quick to forgive. Help us to be quick to worship. Help us to be quick, Lord, and generous, quick to be generous. And, Lord, quick to repent of things where we fall short of your best for our lives. And I pray that in this room you would raise up mighty men of God, mighty women of God. You would raise up pillars of the faith, Lord, for this church and examples to this church, but also pillars of the faith for this community and examples to this community and examples to our culture. That there are men and women who take a stand, who don't compromise, but they live fully committed to you. Thank you, Lord. Again, I pray one last time, God, help us to fight to be a shepherd in the shepherd's field. Help us fight, Lord Jesus to be a warrior fighting spiritual battles. Help us, Lord, to be a friend and help us to have a heart after you to be a king. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.